Thanks for tuning in to Faith Online. Our prayer is that you are blessed by this message. Before we, we actually kick off with any Bible stuff, who has a really disgusting guilty pleasure? Come on, you must have some. Go on, do you want to share this? Oh, you don't want to. Share. See, no one wants to share. Do you want to share it? Go on, what's yours? You love? He loves Mean Girls. I love Mean Girls. Mean Girls is a good film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's really good. Now, I've got a few actual mean women. <laughs> Smack him. Smack him. It's fine. See, I've actually got a few guilty pleasures, and one of them ranks a little bit higher. This is nothing really to do with Genesis 32. We will get on to that. See, I have unironically bought Nicki Minaj's music. I do. I like it. I don't even, I know. I know. I know. I know. It's disgusting. It's horrendous. It's terrible. And I don't care. I, I listened to nothing but heavy metal when I was younger, and all of my friends were like, Ugh. Traitor. See, I do. I'm guilty. It's guilty. It's horrible. I will tell most people that my favorite film is Aliens, but it's actually Beauty and the Beast, which, <laughs> see? You're like, oh, <sighs> man card is gone. Oh, but by the way, if I start pacing up and down, Jordan's told me that that is the preacher's version of I've forgotten what I'm saying, and I'm just easing out. I decide I'm going to be walking all over the place. I do like this, by the way. Um, but actually, my real guilty pleasure is I love wrestling. Now, someone else in here loves wrestling. Do you know who it is? It's Rich, right, so that's good. I don't think he's even guilty about it. I'm not really guilty about it either, but I love wrestling so much. I didn't even watch it for years, but I love it, and I don't even care. I don't even care. This morning's talk is about wrestling with God. So not wrestling wrestling, it's wrestling with God. Uh, yeah, there we go. There he is. Look at him there. Wrestling away. He's doing really well. <laughs> um, and the real kicker here is that if you're a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, you're going to struggle with stuff. You're going to wrestle with God a lot. It's going to happen all the time. And if you don't think it is, if you think being a Christian, knowing God is all about having all your dreams come true, you've been sold a lie, you're doing it wrong. Very much so. And the persecuted church in Asia will definitely tell you this. They'll be like, no, no. Wrestling with God, struggling with God is going to be at your door most days of your life. So before we do anything... Anyone here wrestling with stuff right now? Cool. So some of you already know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone here have wrestled with stuff in their life? Yeah, anyone's not putting their hand up. You've had too easy a life. Get outside. If you're not currently struggling with something, though, that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It just means that you're in a bit of a down phase. That's cool. You can relax for a bit because some struggle will happen at some point, and that's okay. Wrestling is fine. Wrestling with God is all right as well. Um, that's kind of how we get places. Now, before we do anything serious, um, has anyone ever seen World Wrestling Entertainment? Yeah, and then Rich is like, yes, I have, every day. If you haven't seen it, the idea is that it's not fake, but it's fixed. It's a soap opera with oily men rubbing, <laughs> hugging and throwing each other around. Um, it's for the, for the audience's pleasure, right? But the key, <laughs> they are oiled up, seriously, you should check them out, hairless. But the key with any good wrestling match is that the two or three or four people in the ring have to be cooperating together amidst the wrestling. If any one of them is just in it for themselves, you will have a stinker. You'll have someone that's just in it for themselves, and no matter what the other person does, the match will suck. They are not choreographing well at all, and the wrestling will be bad. So this is kind of something we want to grapple with. Hmm, wrestling. 
um, that cooperating within your wrestling is good. Wrestling is good, it can be amazing, but if you're wrestling and you're not playing with others or someone's not playing with well with you, something's gonna go wrong. So, moving on, sorry, I've put this on massive font. Wrestling with God all day, all the time. Um, I wanna look at today Genesis. I wanna talk about Jacob and Esau. That's Jacob up there, the smaller one. And if you know anything about Jacob and Esau, you know that they are twin boys who, before they're even born, have a prophetic word put on their life, which kind of goes on to define everything from that point. So in Genesis 25, verse 23, which should be popping up, there it is. Um, it says, the Lord said to her, that's the mother, two nations are warring in your womb, and the two peoples from within will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, if anyone knows anything about you know, Old Testament stuff, that does not happen. The eldest sibling is the one that gets all the stuff. They are the authority figure. That's like the heir to the crown. So this kind of prophetic word is a complete flip of what is normal. The younger brother is going to rule over the older brother. That's before he's even born, and that's going to go on to shape his life, shape Jacob and Esau's life, quite dramatically. So, when they're born, when they're boys, Jacob is described as being smooth and cultured, and Esau is described as being rugged and hairy and beefy. And Esau, the older brother, is the favorite of the father, Isaac. So he's getting all, you know, the dad, he loves him, hunter, gatherer. And Jacob is the favorite of the mother. And it's never really even described whether his father likes him or loves him or cares about him at all. It's all about the older brother. And if, you've, if you think that might lead to some dysfunction, you're absolutely right. Um, because if you know the story, Jacob is now to go, go on and start messing with people's lives in order to fill out this promise. So what happens is Jacob is kind of at the behest of his mum. He cons his brother out of the birthright and inheritance, and he cons this father into thinking that he is his older brother. His father's old and blind, old and blind and dying, and he comes into his room and says, oh yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, Esau, your oldest son. Bless me and give me your inheritance. And he, he basically lies to his father, which is pretty mean, and he, he kind of gets the birthright and inheritance from the father and his brother, which in that day would be like signing the will and giving it over. It's legally binding, there's nothing you can do. And what happens then is that his brother, when he realizes what's happened, he's kind of in a murderous rage, and he wants to kill Jacob, so Jacob has to run away. He has to flee his home. So, so far, we have a boy who is so desperate to live under this promise that he's lied to his father, he's conned his brother, and he has to run away because he's about to get murdered. This is good family dynamics. These are great things. You may know the story. He goes off, he goes to live with his uncle, and he falls in love with his uncle's daughter. But there's a twist. His uncle actually cons Jacob, and he ends up marrying both his daughters, one of whom he loves and one of whom he doesn't love. This is great. Great family here. Brilliant, brilliant stuff coming along. And Jacob is now going to start wrestling with his wives for their affection, who will probably wrestle with each other for his affection. And... After a while, he's doing very well. He's doing very well with his uncle. And his uncle's sons start to being a bit, uh, we don't really like you, you're doing too well. 
I think you're being a bit sneaky. We want to get you out of here. So then Jacob has to run away again, and he's only got one direction left to go. He has to turn around. He has to run away from his uncle's home with his whole family, and he has to face his past. And this is kind of where we get to crunch time. Wrestling with your past is a big, big deal here. And he has to come back home, and he has to face who he really is. And by doing so, he's going to start discovering what he has been looking for his whole life. So what are you looking for? There's another big question for you guys today. What are you really, really looking for? Because if in your deepest heart you're looking to become rich, you, should, you won't find that here. And you shouldn't find it in any church, but you probably won't find it here. If you're looking to be famous, if that's your primary motivator, you definitely shouldn't find it here. You shouldn't find that as a Christian. That should not be your primary focus. If you think that being a Christian is going to be a quick fix for your problems, you won't find that here. You won't find that anywhere. There is no real quick fix for your problems. And before anyone jumps up and goes, blah, 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 God opens the way for the problems to be dealt with. But it is a long process. So if anyone here, just stop it, it's really there's something in your life that has been going on for ages and ages, and you're like, but God, you should have fixed it by now. That's not what the promise has ever been. The door is opened, but it might take some time. So Jacob's turned home. He's been away for a long time. It's nearly 20 years, I think. And he's told then that his big brother, who he's not seen for a long time and he's never apologized to, is out in force with all his men, and he's coming to meet him. So this should be 20, the next first. Yes, so when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you with 400 men. Yes. Yes. And in great fear and distress, Jacob then divides the people who are with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And he thinks if Esau comes and attacks one group at least, then the others might escape. He's, this is contingency plan. He's expecting that he's probably going to die because his big brother is much, much bigger than he is. He's terrified. He thinks he's going to get murdered. He, and he sends on some gifts. He sends his family away. And then he gives up a bunch of his riches and treasures to send them to his brother to kind of, please take this. Please don't kill me. I'll pay you off. And he goes off in prayer, and he offers burnt sacrifices and all the stuff that they did. And he sends everyone away. And then he's left alone. And in the dark, he suddenly has this really mysterious wrestling match with this mystery figure. So we've got Genesis 32, 25 onwards. Here we go. So Jacob is left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when that man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man says to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but your name will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob says again, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And then the sun rose above him, and he passed by Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. 
that bit at the end is not really relevant for this. So, um, so here we have this lovely picture. I want to just talk about this a bit. This is by um, Gustave Dor, I think is, that's how you pronounce his name. And he was an uh, 18th century French artist who did loads of sketches and paintings, most of them around theology stuff. And um, so you've got Jacob down here, and he's struggling with all his strength. And you have the angel of the Lord on the right, who isn't struggling at all, not one bit. He's just standing there happily. And I likened this picture to when we were looking after the dog who wanted to play tug of war, and he'd be furiously pulling at me. And it would be like, I'm holding this dog. I'm going, oh, you're winning, you're winning, you're winning. Oh, yeah, oh, you're doing so well. Oh, you've won. Because I let you win. Um, that's kind of how I'm starting to read into this. It's not that Jacob actually overpowers God. It's that God is merciful enough to see in his determination that, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you something here. Now, there are four things I really wanted to draw out of this big, long passage about wrestling with this mystery figure. So, verses 27 and 28, the man, God, asks Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob replies, says, Jacob. And then the man says, no, your name will not be Jacob anymore. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, I don't think he's actually asking him what his name is. As in, I say, what's your name? And you say, Mike. What I think he's actually asking him is, what do you stand for? What is your identity? Because Jacob, traditionally, the name means he who grasps the heel or he who supplants takes over. And that's him. That's his identity, his whole life. He's conned his father. He's conned his brother. He's even possibly conned his uncle's sons. Like He is a sneaky, clever, very, very successful person. But his whole identity has been about how cunning he is up here. And that's how he's been living. He's trying to con people and get this inheritance, get this blessing that's been promised over him by any means that he can devise. So what is your identity? What is your meaning? What is your foundation? And look after this. After he's met with God and fought with him, God says, no, that is not who you are anymore. You'll be called Israel because you've struggled with God. In other translations, it is God struggles with. There is something really important there that God and we struggle with God, but then God struggles with us, for us going forward. Jacob's ground has shifted. His identity has turned a corner. And he's been allowed to open up. He's opened himself up, and he's been honest about who he really is, no matter how hard it was. This is coming after he's given up his sacrifices, his money. He's let his family go. He thinks they might be dead. He knows he's about to die, probably. No matter how hard it is, he's had to face who he really is. And that is kind of what wrestling with God will make you do, even if you don't want to. If you want to meet with God, you want to know God, you are going to have to answer him who you really are. And the second point I want to draw out of this is this idea of please tell me your name. And in verses 29 to 30, Jacob says to the Samaritan, please, please tell me your name. And you get this kind of weird, I'm not going to tell you your name. Why do you ask my name, says the mystery man. And then he blesses him. And then Jacob calls his place Peniel. He says, oh, I've seen God face to face, and I've lived. We might think, well, why didn't he just tell him his name? God tells Moses who his, what his name is. Why didn't he just tell him his name? And I kind of think it's like this. Jacob must have suspicions about who this person is. Otherwise, he wouldn't be desperate for this blessing at all. But what he's actually saying is, when he's asking, why are you asking my name? 
he's kind of saying, do you really want to know who I am? Because it's going to affect you. Do you really want to see me? And do you really want to know what that means for you going forward? Because if you don't really want to know God, and you just kind of want to know about God, you want to sing some songs and do the, the rituals and the rites and come down to church and kind of know that there's this person called God or this person called Jesus, that's fine. But if you really want to know me, is that what you're really asking? Because God is a God of change. He's going to make you struggle with stuff and you're going to change if you really want to know. And that's the scary, it's the dangerous thing because it means what you know now, what your, where your life is now, could be shattered, completely kicked apart, and your life might take a completely different direction. Maybe, maybe not. Hang on. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, the, third, the third kind of point I want to draw out of this is Jacob's insistence that do not go until you bless me, no matter what. We're jumping back a couple of verses. Colleen told me I shouldn't do this, but just start the story. Jacob is so desperate. He says, I will not go. I will not let you go until you bless me. He is so desperate for this blessing that they wrestle all night until the sun's about to come up. Now, there's this tradition that if you see God's face revealed to you, you will die. Not pretend to die, actually die. Right? You see God face to face, your mind can't deal with it, you're dead. So why is Jacob, I don't care if it's nearly sun up, I'm holding on, I'm holding on, do not go. Jacob knows that he's going to die if he sees God's face. But he realizes that knowing God is more important than anything else he's accumulated in his life, than any status he had from his family. It's even more important than his wives and his sons and making up with his brother. To the point that if it kills me, I will not let you go. I need your blessing. Show me who you are. Who are you? I need to know. Now, obviously, we have this lovely verse that, and then God touches the hip of Jacob and he's... This is just a a little hint of what God can do. And the verse saying he touched the hip is not he wrenched the hip. It is literally done. Boom. So Jacob's like, oh my gosh. Just the slightest, barest hint of who this person is. He's like, yeah. And still, he's like, no, no, no. Even if it kills me, broken hip and all. I want to know you. I need to know you. He's guessed who this person is. And it is more important to him than everything else in his life. See, Jacob at this point, he has wrestled with his brother for dominance. Even in the womb, he was wrestling with his brother. He struggled with his family dynamic. You know, his father might have loved him, might have not. Who knows? He, he clearly was not sure about it enough to con his dad. He's wrestled with his wife. He has two wives. Both of them hate each other. He doesn't even love one of them. He's wrestled with people. He's wrestled with stuff. He's wrestled with this prophecy over his life. And now, finally, he's come to this thing that he can wrestle with that actually gives him reason to live, even if it kills him. Sorry, moving on, moving on, moving on. We are probably going to spend a large portion of our life wrestling for meaning in financial ways, in our social life, in our work, in our status, in our sexual and family life. People search for meaning there all the time. And these things are kind of tenets of being a person. They're important. They make up who we are. But if they are the bedrock, if they are the foundation of who you are, it will go up 
and down, and then you'll come up and crash, and it'll be heartbreak, and then oh, 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 and then heartbreak. Because no one can have, you know, riches and beautiful women and perfect relationships constantly forever. And if that is where you, your meaning is, you're going to be heartbroken repeatedly all the time. And then maybe it'll be good, and then it'll be heartbreaking again. Life will come crashing down because these things cannot sustain you for long. They can't. But the good news is, is that when life crashes down around you completely, the fourth point to draw out of this, this wrestling match is that God is the one that reaches out to make a way to move forward. Now, if you note, verses 24 and 30 was, Jacob is left alone, and then a man came and wrestled with him. Jacob doesn't initiate the fight. Jacob's just coming, oh, I'm kind of searching after you, God. I've done all the things I should have done, right? What happens next? And then God steps in to see what he's made of. God is the one that steps in and initiates this struggle. And then, of course, we have the verse, Jacob going, oh, my gosh. It's because I saw God face to face, and I was spared for some weird reason. God is initiating the struggle. He's also the first to test Jacob. He's, God speaks first. God says, what's your name? Who are you? God is going to reach into your life, and he probably has already done it. Sometimes you might not even be aware, and sometimes you'll be very aware. But God will approach you first, and he will ask you, say, who are you really, and do you want to know who I am? Because it's going to be serious, but do you want to know? And if we're looking for it, then God will be doing it all the time. If life hits rock bottom, remember that there is something else that is not of this world that will reach down to try and make a way for you to see what is actually most important. So the last verse we have is Romans 5.8. Nothing to do with Genesis, but Romans 5.8. If it's up there. Did I get rid of it by accident? Did I? Ugh, never mind. Doesn't matter. Romans 5.8 basically comes down to this. While we were still sinners, you know, God made a way for us. Christ died for us. That was a terrible paraphrasing. I'm sorry. Christ died so that we could have a way through to God. We didn't actually ask Christ to do that for us, but it is God who comes and invites us in first. We only know about Jesus, we only know about the Holy Spirit because he came first and died for us without us asking for him to do that. It is only God who can actually make that way for us to go forward from what we have done and the things that do you know, fill up our lives to move forward into real salvation. It's only God that opens that way up. I'm going to sum up in a kind of how we're responding to this idea. Um, So if you want to grow as a Christian, or even if you want to become a Christian, the most important thing that comes out of any of this is that knowing God is the main key going forward. It's nothing else. It's knowing God. But you're going to have to be willing to wrestle with who you are and how you're interacting with the world and how you see God. And it will be really difficult. You might suffer, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, definitely emotionally. But the change will be worth it. Um, development in anything is always uncomfortable, and it's often painful. Right? Even if it's just development in physical fitness or development, you know, playing the guitar. You know, you play the guitar, your fingers start to rub, they get sore, and then they callous. Development in anything is going to be painful. So if you are willing to grow in God and push to see God more... And being really intentional about that, you have to be ready for it to hurt. So, a couple of things. How might you be wrestling with God today? 
So number one on this list that is popped up in Genesis is, are you struggling with material or physical stuff? Like, is your health a barrier to knowing God more? Is that something that actually gets in the way of your worship? Um, are you a kind of person that their main goal in life is actually the pursuit of wealth or things? Because that will get in the way. And God might be reaching out to say, look, you need to let this stuff go. And here's a real challenging one I think that we see in the church a lot, and we might not notice it. Is what God can give us actually what we're seeking after? Because that's really close to, well, I'm seeking after God. But if you're really honest, you go, hang on a minute. Am I seeking after God just to know God? Or am I seeking after what I think God is going to give me? Or what God is going to do for me. Because if that's, the, if that's what you're worshipping, that is an idol. And it's really close. And so number two in here is, are you struggling with your relationships? Jacob's life is completely defined with struggling with relationships. And all he really had to do, well, not all he really had to do, but a bit of talking, a bit of holding out the hand of friendship would have probably saved him a lot of trouble. Are you angry with someone in your family? Are you angry with someone at work? Are you angry with someone here? Are you angry with your, your partner, your husband, your wife? Because that, if it's not dealt with, if you don't struggle with that conversation, that can get worse and worse and worse, and then divorce rates are up and people get fired. If that's where you're struggling with, God is a God of relationships between people. Even in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, look, if you're mad at someone, don't go to the temple to worship. Make up with the person you're mad with and then go to the temple to worship. God doesn't want you to sing songs if you hate all the people around you. That's not what God's about. God wants you, if you and if you find that hard, then you're wrestling. You're wrestling with something about yourself and how you see other people. Reconciliation is God's nature, or part of God's nature. So that might be something you're wrestling with. Maybe need to address that before, before we go forward. And then obviously the final part is, are you actually struggling with God directly? Are you actually, I'm pretty content with life and work and relationships are great, but actually there's something about God and my understanding of God that I find really, really hard. Because you might be. And that might be because the most important thing here is you need to try and just see and know God before you try and understand God, before you try and figure out why God is doing X, Y, and Z. Seek after knowing God. Now, now Jacob, in the story, he, once he's seen God, he's physically altered. And that might be a real problem for some people. Oh, but my physical body. But Jacob, even though he's, he's kind of limp for the rest of his life, he has seen something worth living for. And he goes from that place in peace. And the next chapter says that he, he goes out to meet his brother and he bows down to him. And his brother rushes up to meet him and they cry and they make up. That would not have happened if Jacob hadn't come to a place where his whole identity was shattered completely and he could say, actually, my brother can have everything because I know God. It doesn't matter that I'm lame because I know God. It doesn't matter you know, that you know, I'm going I'm to probably sort my family out, but first of all, I know God. I was looking for meaning in all the wrong places and that's why I've been struggling with myself and that's why I've been struggling with this idea of God. Um, in Genesis, Jacob repeatedly prays to the God of his father and to the God of his grandfather, but it's only after knowing God that he starts saying, ah, I'm praying to the God of me. This is my God. I know him. And from that point on, he can make up with his brother. You'd hope he could make up with his wives. Um, because knowing God 
is more important than anything else he could have. And that is what true wrestling will bring, or hopefully will bring to you is, I know God, I've seen God, everything else is just washed away. There's a, there's a repeated theme in this that he's after blessing, he's after blessing. And we probably use this word a lot. I want God to bless us. We're going to bless, 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 bless. The blessing in this is not that Jacob will rule over Esau. And the blessing is not that he'll have 12 sons. The blessing is not that he is wealthy. The blessing is that he has seen God and knows him. That is what true blessing is, is when God blesses you, you know God, and you understand that you are known to God. And then all other things might come to you. You might have all these other things that you're hoping for. You might not. But more importantly, you know God. And that way, in the future, when you're wrestling with other stuff, you can fall back and go, it's okay, because I know God first.